So I know what you're out there saying. Where's this guy been? I've been waiting for episode 10 for weeks. He got me hooked just to keep me waiting. Well, no, I'm back and I'm here to deliver. Welcome back or welcome in. This is Reteaching the Game, episode number 10, why tests do not matter. So obviously, I am your host, Ethan Noroff. In case you are new here, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Make sure to hit us with that five-star review. Leave a little comment if that's your sort of thing. And if you are a returning customer, a loyal subscriber, welcome back. I am thrilled that you stuck with me through the temporary pause. Moving forward, we will have greater consistency at least one time per week. And without further business off the court, let's get started on it. We're here to talk about tests. As a teacher, especially in middle school, a question I get so frequently, what type of tests do you give? Now, the type of learning environment I teach in is also very different. Not only do we prioritize social emotional growth, but we also have a mixed grouping of learners, mixed grade levels. So what type of tests do you give? No, I don't do tests. Oh, no, no. I give assessments. I have conversations. I do observations. I measure collaboration. But I don't do tests. Tests don't measure intelligence. They don't promote real learning. Tests can sometimes reward for like someone who has the capacity for short-term memory to memorize something just to memorize something. But who wants to do that? And why are we rewarding that? Why are we saying, great job, you must be intelligent because you can remember to forget? It promotes robotic thinking. If we were to sit here and say, I have a great idea, one size fits all underwear, it should work for everybody, men, women, transgender, anybody in between. Nobody would sign off on that. It promotes robotic thinking. Tests, they're not, they're not designed for anyone. They're not designed for individuals. They're designed for everybody. It's a terrible idea. It's such a, it's such a constructional, such a strategic flaw. It's such a construction error in the process. And most importantly, what I see in my kids so often is the fear-based anxiety it causes. Tests, kids become different on test day, let alone the, de- the days leading up to them. They don't eat, their behaviors change, they're shorter with their friends, they get less sleep. It's all from this fear-based anxiety. Why do we even need tests to show a score? Why do we need that? As a culture, are we that worried? Are we that concerned? Do we need validation that much psychologically? It's just a fascinating line of thought. Assessments and tests are very different. And I promised you I would talk to my own tests that I need to take. So as an educator, as a teacher, as an educator and teacher, although I like to call myself an educator more than a teacher, and an influencer, but not on Instagram, that's for sure, but an influencer on campus in the community, through the educational perspective. 
I have to take a test as part of my quote-unquote teaching credentials. In California, we are asked to take an exam called the RICA, the Reading Instruction Competence Assessment. And this is just a California thing. And literally how it's defined is an exam used by the state of California to comply. Let's, we'll talk about why that's an issue. To comply with its commitment to improve the reading and literacy skills of students. The RECA is designed to ensure that educators in California have the skills needed to effectively teach students to read. Now. The fact that it says to comply in the first sentence of this test description, it's telling you it's teaching compliance. It's telling you everybody should teach the same way. The same strategies are gonna work for different kids, for different learning environments, and that's what you should know. On top of that, this is just to show that you can memorize certain things, whether it's certain language, certain tools that may or may not be useful in actuality in order to prove that you can pass a test. It's an insane process that drives qualified candidates out and has contributed to what is going to be a teacher shortage. On top of it, it's nearly $200 to register for this exam. So in a field that requires you to clear a lot of hurdles in the form of tests, not assessments, but tests, the average teacher salary in California, that's about fifty dollars to $55,000 a year. And I know in some parts of the country, in some parts of the world, that amount of money strikes people as something different. But in Los Angeles, with the cost of living, especially if you are a single person, it is exorbitant to live here. The lifestyle, it's, it's, it's a difficult task to live in Los Angeles, financially. It's, it's very, very, very unrewarding from a financial perspective. To go into education, you have to want to do it for reasons that are pure in your heart. It cannot be financially motivated. And if it is, my friend, you have chosen incorrectly. There are plenty of jobs where you can make more money. And that's part of the issue that I have with this process. The process is so insane that as we said, it drives qualified candidates out of the field because they ask themselves, hey, I am at least a semi-intelligent human being capable of putting in half the effort to do something that can net me twice the salary. It's very hard to be a teacher. And people who are not, who don't truly understand the ins and outs of what you go through every day in education, whether you're a teacher, whether you're an administrator, no matter what your role is on a school campus, counselor. It is emotionally draining in the best ways, but it is emotionally draining 
it is often difficult. It can sometimes be thankless. And above all, you're expected to be your best every day. There are a lot of jobs, a lot of careers where people show up to check out. A lot of jobs where you can go in and give half your effort, be half asleep and have nobody noticed. Not an education. You have to be on. And those who don't know the ins and outs of that everyday life, well, they see winter break, they see spring break, and they see summer break and go, wow, wish I had all that paid vacation. If only. People think teaching, some people think teaching should be a year-round task. Absolutely not. That doesn't benefit anyone. So getting back to this Rika. Now I'm set to take this exam in the coming days. Exam. It's a test. And I feel good. And I'll review. And I'll commit to short-term memory just for the sake of short-term memory. And I'll play that game. But that's all it is. That's what frustrates me about this process. Come watch me teach. Come watch what I do. And I will show you why I'm credentialed. I will show you why I'm a teacher. And I will show you why my students will always remember me. I don't need a test to tell me I'm good enough. I know I'm good enough. And that level of self-confidence is critical to having success. As an adult, especially. But the fact that a test has to speak for me, that a score has to be how I'm measured, you don't know me like that. If only everybody could tell their story beyond a test score. But that's how we transfer kids from school to school. That's how they come in. They're on a piece of paper. Just like resumes don't tell the whole stories and that's why we have interviews. It's the, it's the exception, not the rule, that schools have interviews. They get grades on a piece of paper. They get comments someone else had to say about them and the decision has to be made based off of that. As if that's the truth and nothing but the truth and the only truth that could possibly exist. It's just not that simple. So I believe in assessments and I believe you have to have some sort of measurable learning outcome when you're trying to determine when somebody actually knows something. But this idea of tests to prove it just to prove it, it promotes the wrong things. And in a society where addictive behavior has become the norm, that's troubling for our youth. It's not that Snapchat, it's not that Instagram, it's not that Twitter, it's not that Facebook or all all those other social media platforms are bad. But the inherent addictive behavior we're being taught by being constantly on our phones, constant with a notification, constant with a text, constant with an email. We become addicted to those behaviors. And when we become addicted to a lot of behaviors, for some people, you start to become addicted to addiction. And that's a dangerous path to go down. 
And that's the psychology that's really behind all of this. Right? Addictive behaviors are not limited to things we do outside of our everyday routines. How many of you go on your phone for one reason and wind up opening an app that you just checked not two minutes ago just because it's what you do? You open your email to write something to your boss, but oh, I got to open Instagram first, even though I was just on here two minutes ago because I might have got a DM or I might have got a new post to like or somebody else might have posted a story. And our kids are growing up with that, with addictive behavior embedded in them at a very young age. And that's a concern as an educator, that's a concern as a young adult, and that's a concern as a future parent. Not right now, don't get it twisted. But just as somebody who wants to be a future parent, of course that's a concern. That's why we have such a role in having these conversations and being part of the solution and not just remaining silent. It's hard to stand up and speak. It's hard to be first. It's hard to be a leader on any topic. But what's right is often difficult. And that's how you stand out from the crowd is being different and having the boldness to be different while remaining humble. That's the key. You apply that and you'll go far. It's worked quite well for me. Now, we can't just sit here and talk about tests without talking about the NBA at least a little bit. Now, I've been away from the game, been celebrating a marriage. We've been traveling in the Bahamas. So I've been a little disconnected. At least from that. I've been connected in a lot of other ways. The important ways. But we got to hit up a little bit of NBA. I got two points for y'all. That's it. Two quick ones. One a lot bigger than the other. The first, we'll start with the small one. Hey, man, right now it's cool to hate the Lakers. Right? It is cool to hate the Lakers. Everybody wants to pile on on LeBron's first year. What a disaster it's been. Will the Lakers bounce back? There are a lot of questions this Lakers front office has to answer. Ah, that no marquee free agents wants to sign with LeBron and play over there. Man, it's cool to hate the Lakers right now. It's, it's on brand. It's like wearing a Supreme sleeve. It's cool to hate the Lakers. So I'm very curious to see how this summer goes and what happens as a result. The Lakers will bounce back. Even though they've taken a hit and their brand has taken a quote-unquote hit over the last few years, they'll bounce back. There's a huge percentage of that fan base that is of the casual variety. And all it takes is the welcome and opportunity and potential of a new season to get everybody going. But this is a big summer for the Lakers, no question. And more specifically, for Rob Palinka and Magic Johnson. Because so far, it hasn't been as advertised, to say the least. Bigger thing for me, and this is where we'll hit on the NBA before we say goodbye and we look forward to number 11. I know, let me hit it right now. No TED Talk this week. Taking one week break from the TED Talks because so much of this has been through the educational lens rather than through the basketball one. And we'll come back with it for episode number 11. 
So the last thing I want to leave you all with is the NBA and the fact that the NBA is robbing its fans. Yeah, you heard me. The NBA is robbing its fans. The NBA is robbing its fans of the opportunity to have an opportunity. I know players always rest down the stretch, especially when their seat is set when it comes to playoff races. And I understand that players need time off. You know, the lifestyle of an 82-game player, 10 years running, it's a different set of priorities, different set of conditions these days. And I get that. I understand that entirely. But these fans are losing out as a result. What if you're a family? You're a family of four. You're a family of five. And your big event as a family for the years, you're going to see, I don't know, maybe you're huge LeBron fans. And LeBron's coming into town and oh, all of a sudden, LeBron's not playing. Maybe you get a chance to go to the Garden. And you want to see the Warriors come in and play the Knicks. Perhaps the preview of KD playing his home games in Madison Square Garden next year. Sorry, Warriors fans. And all of a sudden, KD's out. For a league that markets its stars and its superstars so effectively as individuals. Man, this this is a problem that has yet to be figured out. And it happens almost every year. But right now, it it feels dire. It feels like we got to get out in front of this. We got to take a proactive approach. Something needs to be done. It's too easy to manipulate injury reports. It's too easy to sit guys out when they could be playing. And I'm not saying get off my lawn, but I think it's worth mentioning. Because I know if I were in that situation, it would be awfully frustrating. And the NBA has done such a good job to build this product. Both domestically and internationally. You don't want to water that down in any kind of way. I do wonder if the league will look at shortening the season. Not tomorrow, but 82 games. Can you cut that down? Can it be 70? That might be too drastic. But I think that's the direction it's going to trend in, and it wouldn't surprise me if that's a talking point at some point in the next decade, to say the least. All right, we're going to get you you guys out of here in under 20 minutes for this one. I'm thrilled to be back. Make sure you guys are following me on Twitter at Ethan underscore Noroff. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And until episode 11, episode number 11, which will come back to you at least within the week, at least once a week here from now on. I hope you guys enjoy. Have a great week. And we'll see you next time. We out.